morning there are um, three separate readings um, and they can be found on page, uh, or we start on page 659 in the church Bibles. Um, and the first is from Proverbs uh, 25 verses 6 to 15. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among great men. It is better for him to say to you, Come up here than for him to humiliate you before a nobleman. What you have seen with your eyes, do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbour puts you to shame? If you argue your case with a neighbour, do not betray another man's confidence. Or he who hears it may shame you and you will never lose your bad reputation. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. Like the coolest of snow at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the spirit of his masters. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. Through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. And now we're continuing in Proverbs 26 verses 2 to 7. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. A whip for the horse, a halter for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Like cutting off one's feet or drinking violence is sending a message by the hand of a fool. Like a lame man's legs that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. And then continuing Proverbs 26 verses 17 to 28. Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel not his own. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is, the, is a man who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's in most parts. Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbours deceit. Though his speech is charming, do not believe him, for seven abominations fill his heart. His malice 
may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. If a man digs a pit, he will fall into it. If a man rolls a stone, it will roll back on him. A lion's tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we stand, let's hear again that verse from Psalm 63, and then we shall pray. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we hear that encouragement of the psalmist, we would know the reality of your love better than our earthly life, even on the best of days. And so we pray that you would be at work in our hearts, that our lips would glorify you. In the words we sing in praise to you and call out to you in prayer, but in the words we use to one another as sisters and brothers in your family, in the words we use in our own natural families, the words we use with our friends and in the world. Lord, lead us, we pray, to glorify you with our lips, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do please be seated. And... Uh, We have some handouts, which Mark is ready to distribute, uh, for those of you who would like the Bible verses uh, in Chinese. So if you'd like to put your hands up, uh, Mark will come round, and uh, they're ordered uh, with the uh, points uh, of the sermon. Uh, There we go. Lewis will help you, Mark, just to distribute those, uh, so that our brothers and sisters from Hong Kong can follow along with us this morning. Uh, As John said, we are thinking today about words, wisdom about words. Uh, But I just want to say uh, a couple of things by way of introduction. Again, to the series, if you're new to us or visiting, uh, this is uh, the second in a short run of three uh, where we dive in occasionally uh, to mine the biblical book of Proverbs uh, around the particular themes, uh, as you will have heard when uh, Caroline was reading uh, the scriptures earlier on for us. Uh, Proverbs, uh, even uh, to the greatest of interpreters, uh, of which I am not one, but I have some of their books, uh, defies uh, discerning any sort of order. Uh, once you're in those middle section uh, of the individual Proverbs from chapter 10 through to uh, almost the very end of the book, through to chapter 29. Uh, and so what we're trying to do in this series is bring together uh, some of the great themes in the book so that we might try uh, and get a handle on some of those. Uh, that's not to say that in the order in which the Holy Spirit has inspired the book of Proverbs, uh, we should not read it that way as well. I hope you do just read Proverbs. Here is wisdom uh, for living well in this world that God has made. Uh, so it's not that this you have to do it this way, uh, otherwise you can't interpret the book for yourself. Uh, I want to make it very clear, our encouragement always is to read the scriptures for yourselves and particularly uh, listen to sermons and Christian teaching with discernment uh, that what you hear from up here is actually what you read in this word of God. Uh, Having said that as well, uh, if anybody would be interested, uh, I have made my best shot at working through all of the Proverbs in this book and putting them under uh, one of ten or so different categories. Uh, If that would be of interest to you, send me an email uh, and I will send it to you. It's very much a work in progress, uh, but if... uh, I've been interested for years in looking for these themes, and uh, if anybody else uh, shares that interest, then I would gladly share the fruits of my limited labours so far. 
Anyway, enough of uh, introductions. Uh, Proverbs about words. I wonder if you've heard this one. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I could embarrass you by asking you to find it in the biblical book of Proverbs, uh, but that would be cruel because it does not occur in the Bible's book of Proverbs. Indeed, uh, it's although one of the earliest pieces of wisdom most of us learn at school or at home uh, when we've come home uh, in tears uh, because someone has said something horrible to us, uh, even though it has uh, the authority of being taught to us in our infancy, it is, of course, a lie. Uh, Indeed, the ancient Jewish sages uh, said exactly the opposite. Here's a quote, not from the biblical book of Proverbs, but from an early Jewish teacher who said this before Jesus came. The blow of a whip raises a welt, but the blow of the tongue crushes the bones. That's more the reality, isn't it? Yes, of course, sticks and stones or the blow of a whip, uh, they're a dreadful thing, an awful thing to experience. But actually, the tongue has the power to crush us inwardly. It's far more power, actually, than mere physical assault. The reality is we know that words are powerful. I guess we teach that ditty to our children to try and help them to uh, stand firm when those words come. But there's a better way than taking refuge in something that simply is not true. So what we share with our culture around us for Christians and non-Christians is this knowledge that words are powerful. Words uh, we imbibe in childhood and adolescence uh, lodge the deepest uh, in us. Some of my most precious times in Christian ministry have been uh, with an elderly saint who in many ways has already begun to lose the capacity of thought and of speech and so often what remains at the very core of their being is a prayer from the scriptures or the prayer book or the words of a familiar hymn that they learnt when they were perhaps a young teenager. Words we imbibe in infancy and adolescence uh, lodge the deepest. Which is why it's so important to teach our children the scriptures. Which is why what the Sunday school teachers are doing now is even more important than what I am doing with you. Uh, But let's not give up. Our elderly brains may yet have some space to take in some new wisdom. And so we will give ourselves to the study of God's word. But unfortunately for me, uh, when I was young, no one was teaching me the scriptures. So I had only secular wisdom about words, and they went the deepest, and I still remember them. Uh, Here are two pop songs from the 1980s. Uh, First, Sting, who sang with the police, Poets, priests, and politicians have words to thank for their positions. Sort of ironic, as things have turned out in my life, uh, those words, but it made the point that words are powerful in establishing many people in their chosen career or profession rather darker from the later uh, in the 1980s was a song called Devil Inside uh, by that greatest of bands, not just greatest of Australian bands, uh, but greatest of bands in excess. Uh, And what is the sign of the work of the devil? Words as weapons, sharper than knives. That's a secular insight, but it's a true one, isn't it? We know that words can be used to exercise the power of darkness just as much as the power of light. I was discussing uh, the formation of this sermon with a dear friend of mine who's not a Christian. He would say uh, quite openly that he's an atheist. And yet we were finding, as I was talking him through some of the biblical proverbs, much common ground. There's much here that we would aspire to, whatever our uh, personal convictions about God and the Lord Jesus. 
But actually, we need to go back beyond the 1980s, wonderful though they were, uh, to around 1000 BC, uh, and the wisdom that God gave Solomon in this biblical book of Proverbs. One of the biggest themes in this collection of pithy sayings is words and the choices we make every waking moment about how we use them. Well, uh, these words are indeed powerful. That's where we find a connection with our secular observance. Here's our first biblical proverb, 1821. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. That is, uh, our words are powerful. They can be powerfully used for both bringing life and death, for good and for evil. But the choice we make, we will have to live with. Those who love it, that is, love the power of words, will have to eat the fruit of the words they choose to use, whether that's the fruit of life or the fruit of death. And death, not just physically, but spiritually and morally. And here is where we begin to part company with our secular friends. Uh, We care about words, not just because of the effect they have on human relationships, but because we are, or should be, conscious that our words, both spoken out loud and said silently in here, are said in the carefully listening presence of the Lord. And words that please him are hard to find. Proverbs 20, verse 15, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. It's not easy or common to speak words that please the Lord. Well, Jesus said this, addressing those who were words uh, were foolish and sinful. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Words are terrifyingly important. And if we're Christians... And we will care about our words because we know the one, whoever humanly may be listening, who is listening and recording every one of our words. We care because it will matter on that final day. Uh, We care, too, for even deeper reasons. How does God make himself known to us? Well, not in pictures, but in words. And he speaks. He speaks the universe into being. He sustains it by his powerful word. The scriptures that we listen to week by week and day by day are not ultimately the words of men, but the words of God. As the apostle Peter says in his first letter uh, of the nature of the Bible, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And again, if we ask Peter, how is it that someone uh, becomes a Christian? How do we come to Jesus and put our our trust in him for our forgiveness and power to live a new life? His answer is this. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Born again by the power of God's word. And this is the word, he says, that was preached to you. Jesus is Savior and Lord, the only Son of God and the only way back to the Father. That message has power to convert us as it lodges in our hearts. And we'll think more of that this morning. So 
Uh, Who is this Jesus whom we love because he first loved us? He is the word of God in the flesh. So in the light of the whole Bible story, words should matter to us who love and follow Jesus more than to any of our secular companions. We know they're powerful, not just because Sting told us, but because we know it's how God made the world and remakes lost sinners like us and draws us back into his family through the very word who became one of us. We know how dangerous words can be because we hear Jesus piercing warning and diagnosis. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Words are powerful and precious. So how shall we speak words that please the Lord? Well, only as he renews our hearts. Here we have parted company entirely with our secular friends. In many ways, we have overlapping goals for what we desire. But what we have as believers is the power to find forgiveness for those words which we have spoken that have been dishonoring to the Lord or our neighbors and power to begin to speak words from a renewed heart that will bring life and peace to those we speak to. Consider the great vision Isaiah has of the Lord, Isaiah 6. You may have be familiar with it. It's one of the most famous parts of that prophet. If not, later look it up in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is brought to see a vision of the Lord and his response, listen to this, Woe is me, I am ruined for... I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah sees the Lord, he's convicted of the sin of his speech, first and foremost. And only then as he's convicted of his sin is he ready to hear the gospel's answer. In the vision, a seraph, an angel, takes a coal from the altar, pointing us to the cross of the Lord Jesus, where his death will cleanse us from every word that would otherwise condemn us, as well as every deed that would do the same. And so we read in Isaiah, with it, with this coal from the altar, the place of atonement fulfilled in Jesus' death, with it he touched my mouth. And said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then, convicted and cleansed, Isaiah is commissioned. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, this is Isaiah, here am I, send me. And the Lord said, go and tell. You see the logic of that? Uh, When we come to know the Lord, when we come to encounter him, we are convicted of our sins and the sins of speech first in Isaiah's case. But then we are drawn to find the cleansing and forgiveness that only Christ can bring us. And he so forgives us and renews us and sends us that then we are ready to speak words that will please him. Words given to us by the Holy Spirit, words that are honoring to the Lord. We don't get it right. We don't get it perfect. We need to go through that cycle again and again, as we have done this morning, confessing our sin, laying hold of Christ, seeking the filling of his spirit that our words may be honoring to him. So what do those words that honor the Lord look like? That's really where the the focus is in the book of Proverbs. Uh, And we can only scratch the surface today because there's so much, as I say, uh, in this biblical book about words. Uh, But uh, I found here, and uh, uh, this is uh, nothing more than my best stab uh, at it, eight 
uh, contrasts, uh, which we will look at very quickly uh, as we go through choices uh, to make about the words we use. Uh, we'll, and each one I shall use one proverb to illustrate, uh, but there are many more uh, that would go on each of these themes as you read through the book of Proverbs. Here's the first choice. Will you use your words to bring life or to bring death? To uh, bring life or to exercise violence? The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Chapter 10, verse 11. Words can bring life. Words uh, of acceptance, words of forgiveness, words of encouragement, words of assurance, words of love. Our words have the power to bring life. Our words can rescue us supremely. The word of God, Jesus Christ, and the gospel word about him. As we share that, and many of us will remember, if we were adult converts to Christianity, we'll remember where we heard the word, the word that seemed at first alien to us and uncomfortable. and Perhaps we wrestled with it for some years or uh, some time at least, before it was the word that saved us and brought us from death to life. We can choose every time we speak words uh, to bring life, or we can use them to bring violent destruction. Not perhaps literal violence, although of course uh, words may be used to incite that, but words that can destroy friendships and undermine uh, trust and end a career or uh, divide a family. Uh, And there's a sense here uh, of the way in which our words are so often out of our control. Violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. That word that goes out and we didn't mean to say it. And if we'd thought for a moment, we wouldn't have said it. But it's out there. And it can't come back. And it will go on its destructive way. Oh, there are many proverbs along those lines. Make a choice when you speak. Will you bring life or will you bring death? Second, the choice is, will we speak the truth or speak lies? Let's be in no doubt which honors the Lord. The Lord detests lying lips. But he delights in men who are truthful. I know I'd only said I'd give you one, but on some of them I have to give you another. uh, Because I love Proverbs 24, 26. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. So vivid, isn't it? Uh, We all enjoy a nice kiss on the lips. Uh, Well, an honest answer. uh, Using our lips for a different purpose. Uh, Solomon draws that comparison that we may see just how joyful and affirming and intimately wonderful Speaking the truth is and should be. The contrast is there as well. Uh, Many proverbs teach us that a false witness will not go unpunished uh, in the universe where God is on the throne. And above all else, brothers and sisters, we must be people who speak the truth. That doesn't mean, and we'll explore this in some of the other contrasts, that we always speak all the truth that we know. There are secrets to keep. There are sins to overlook. There are things that someone is just not ready to hear, no matter how true it may be. But when we speak, it must be the truth and nothing but the truth. I've often been asked uh, about uh, for, for guidance when somebody has to uh, make a difficult decision. Uh, navigating their way through uh, a complex organization uh, and they know that if they say certain things it will bring trouble for them 
And one of my uh, uh, mottoes that I seek to live by and always say on those occasions is this one. It's not a biblical proverb, but I hope it uh, distills something of biblical wisdom. Speak the truth and let the Lord take care of the consequences. Because in God's universe, he is perfectly able uh, to sort out the infinitely possible number of things that could happen to you and to lead you through the one that in the end will be for your blessing as you honor him. Oh, is the truth uncomfortable or difficult? Uh, uh, Well, we often have to say those things, and we often fear the consequences of them. Oh, that the Lord delights in men who are truthful. Oh, that the truth, as Jesus put it, is the only thing in the end that will set us free, and that we are under obligation as believers to speak the truth in love to one another, that we may in all things grow up into him who is our head, that is Christ. Will we tell the truth? Or will we be complicit with liars? Is there wisdom or perversity in what we say? As number three, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. Um, you do get a lot of vivid language in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and uh, it's very often not designed to be taken literally. We're not to go around with a knife uh, looking for perversity. Uh, but it is warning us that in God's universe, there will be an accounting. And Jesus warns us of that so plainly. When we speak words, does it come from a place uh, where we are fearing the Lord and therefore will speak that which honors him? Or does it come from a place where we are afraid of people and so we say what we think they want to hear? Is our desire to please the Lord or to please people, to make me look good or to do what is good? You know, many of the prevailing cultural trends are against us uh, in our day. Uh, How easy to go along with the flow uh, of our culture to silently perhaps endorse uh, the perversity that is abroad in so many ways these days. Oh, the Lord uh, will be listening and watching and the mouth of the righteous will bring forth wisdom. Number four, uh, here's one I need to listen to. I need to listen to all of them, but uh, here's one I found uh, particularly convicting. Uh, Are we careful or speedy in what we say? Uh, Here is uh, Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I dread to think how many words I've spoken over 21 years in this pulpit, uh, week after week, and you've uh, kindly listened over the years. Uh, Well, when words are many, sin is not absent. Because our hearts are desperately deceived, uh, and so easily does that overflow uh, into wickedness. So speaking less is a good way of being wise. Uh, Difficult for the poet, priest, or politician uh, to do so. So we need to hear these words especially carefully. So be careful, be cautious, be few in your words. He who answers before listening, here's another biblical proverb, that is his folly and his shame. Do you ever do that? You think you know what a person is going to ask you, so you don't bother listening to them. You just give them what you think they were probably going to ask, or at least what you want to download into their lives. Well, that is the way of foolishness. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Let me give you one more. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers. The mouth of the wicked gushes evil. And it's very vivid, isn't it? Uh, that sense of the words gushing forth from the fool uh, rather than the wise person who just pauses 
bides their time, listens before they speak. Here we find a connection with some New Testament wisdom. James 1 verse 19. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Wouldn't your workplace be a lot calmer if that were put into practice? Wouldn't your family uh, be a lot more uh, uh, harmonious if we were quicker to listen and slower to speak and slower still to become angry? No, friends, let's be careful rather than speedy. Listen before we speak. Number five, we're nearly there. Discretion or gossip, 11.13. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret Another famous proverb, I have to give you this one. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inward parts. You know that moment when you're just sharing for prayer. You're just with a close friend. And of course, please don't pass this on to to anyone else. You know, I'm just going to share this with you in confidence. But really what's going on is that eager desire Because the gossip has gone down here like some dreadful saccharine filled uh, but utterly empty piece of food. And we just want to share it because we love the effect of gossip uh, going like wildfire around. And of course the friend we share it with in confidence for prayer then goes and finds their friend to share it in confidence and for prayer. And sooner or later the whole church knows or the whole family or the whole workplace whatever it is no instead seventeen nine. He who covers over an offence promotes love. But whoever sep- repeats the matter separates close friends. I know we touched on that one last week. These seems all interweave and overlap. Uh, so don't worry about that. You don't need to speak everything you know to be true. Very often it is better to cover it over, forget about it, and practice love by saying nothing. Are our words healing or reckless? 1624, pleasant words are a honeycomb, uh, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Or again, this one, an anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. We have a choice again in our words, don't we? Uh, Do we uh, speak words uh, that will cheer and heal? Uh, It's related, of course, to that first contrast between life and death. Uh, But here, thinking much more about the felt needs of the people that we are speaking to. We not only hear their words, but try and hear uh, the way uh, that they are experiencing perhaps some tragedy or trauma or even minor setback in the everyday rough and tumble of family life at home. And put aside our own concerns at that moment and look instead at them and their needs and their hurts and determine at that point to speak words that are pleasant or that will cheer them. Or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Uh, So many ways this book encourages us to speak words that meet the needs of the person we are addressing. It took me to the gospel story when the centurion uh, comes to the Lord Jesus, his servant ill on the point of death at home, and he gets this. He says to Jesus, say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus sees in that man great faith, not least because he recognizes the power of his words and that those words that Jesus will speak are words of healing and hope. Are we who know Jesus and love him, we too are called to speak words of healing and gentleness and life. 
Number seven, correcting or flattering. He who rebukes a man will will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. It's easy to use our words uh, so that we flatter people because when we hope then that they will treat us well and do us a favor and think well of us. And it is entirely self-serving, even though the words we are speaking are apparently pleasant and lovely and uh, so encouraging. But if it is flattery, then it is not for their good, it is for your good. And if it is for your good, then you are not loving your friend or neighbor but actually only serving your own interest. Now, let another praise you and not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. And in those relationships where we need to speak a word that will be hard to hear, but because we love that person, we will speak it anyway, well, then we've grasped something of this strand of wisdom about words. We love them enough to speak the truth even though they may not be until the end, that is, until some time has passed, that they might turn around and thank us for it. This is, after all, an echo of God's purpose in giving us his own word. Remember what he said, uh, Paul said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's word does the positive work of teaching and training, but it also does this work of correction and rebuke. We're thinking or acting in ways that are dishonoring to the Lord. Our love does not always speak words that desire to be heard by the recipient. It will always speak words that are healing and life-giving, yes. Sometimes those will be a word of correction as well. Well, finally... Not a uh, contrast in this last one, uh, but rather a slightly rueful acknowledgement that sometimes, however wise your words, a fool will not appreciate them. Our wise words, uh, our words spoken aptly, is like apples of gold in settings of silver. But sometimes you can get all these principles right and still create hostility and division. I love that contrast of Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 that uh, was part of the passage that Caroline read. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him yourself. You can imagine the student jotting that down, right? Uh, A fool has said something foolish. I will not answer it. Uh, And that'll be the end of it. And I will have demonstrated wisdom. And then the very next thing the sage says, answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. And the student is confused. He's just written down, do not answer a fool. And now the wise man has said, answer a fool. Well, the student looks up to the wise man and he sees the wise man smiling. You just can't get it right with some people. doesn't matter what you do. Uh, you, You answer them and you'll just affirm them in their sin and stupidity. You don't answer them. Well, then you'll look like the stupid one and you'll be like them as well. With some people, you just can't win. So recognize that. And don't let it trouble you too much. You can speak an apt word and it will just be unappreciated. So how then can we speak words of life and truth and wisdom and care and discretion and healing and correction? Apt words that however the person we're speaking to may receive them have real value in the sight of the Lord. Well, I want to come back to where we started with the words of the Lord Jesus. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Now in this, as in so much of Jesus' teaching, he's actually not saying something brand new. Uh, He's putting it in his own unique uh, and pithy way, something that actually is here in the book of Proverbs as well. Uh, And very often as you read through Proverbs, you'll find there is an intimate connection here too between the heart and the mouth. So 16.23, a wise man's heart guides his mouth, his lips promote instruction. And often, as you read through the Proverbs, the lips and the heart are used in parallel, uh, like this one. Sorry, I haven't put that on the screen. The heart of the righteous weighs its answer, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. So if you find that you have a problem with your words, the book of Proverbs would say, and Jesus would say this even more starkly, if you have a problem with your words, you don't have a problem with your words. You have a problem with your heart. Words are a little bit like the relationship, uh, or the words in the heart relate to one another a little bit uh, like the, um, uh, the dashboard fuel gauge relates to how much fuel is in the tank. You see, the little needle, or, or numbers if you have a modern car, uh, that shows you how much fuel uh, is in your car, that is not providing the energy for your car. You could cut off uh, that gauge uh, and it would always read zero even if there was something in the tank or you could tape up the needle on the F mark uh, and then even if the tank was empty it would still be showing that it was full and of course it would do you no good at all. But when they're working correctly uh, the fuel gauge shows the reality of what you cannot see. Your fuel tank uh, sitting at the back of your car. Well Proverbs and the Lord Jesus say that's like the relationship between what's in here and the words that come out here. The words that come out here are like the gauge on the dashboard that everyone can see. But all that's doing is revealing the reality of what is in here. So you have a problem with your words. Well, it's like saying the problem with my car when it stopped is the gauge is on zero. That's not the problem. The problem is there's no fuel in the tank. The problem when we have a problem with words is not our words, but our hearts. And only the Lord has access to our hearts. We can't get in there and fix it. All we can do is say, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. Lord, I own my sin. I know that many words I have spoken have been violent and have been unkind and have not been here. All those things. So what shall we do? All we can do, like Peter, is say, Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Like Isaiah, all we can say is, woe to me. And hear then his word of encouragement. Come to the altar. Come to the cross. Come to the only one who can forgive you and cleanse you. Come to the one who will bring you to the birth of water that cleanses from every ungodly and unloving word and the spirit who renews the heart so that now from out of our mouths we can begin to speak not in such a way as to bring glory to ourselves but so as to show that the spirit is at work in us that Jesus has changed our hearts that the father has made us his own and the words we will now use are the words that befit one who is a daughter or son of God. And here we have parted company entirely with our secular friends. Here we have the gospel. Many of our friends, if they're good and honorable people, would go with us on many of the things we aspire to in the words we say, but none of them has an answer for when their words have gone wrong. 
None of them has any hope of forgiveness or of real change that renews from within, except this one hope that is ours and that is ours to share. So that as the Lord forgives us, uh, as he renews us, we say, here am I, send me. And he says, go and speak, go and tell, go and tell the gospel, but go and speak words that show that you know someone who has cleansed and renewed you. And so we pray for ourselves, we pray for our children, uh, we pray for our friends, and not first that our words would be wise, but that our hearts would be made new. Friends, shall we pray that together now? <coughs> Heavenly Father, I know I don't have to look back very far in my own life to find words that convict me of my sin. Words that have been arrogant or selfish or stupid. And Father, I thank you that in the gospel is not just condemnation. There's not condemnation at all, conviction of sin. There is forgiveness and life and power to know you and to begin to speak words that honor you. I pray, Lord, for some here today who are burdened with a guilty conscience for words they have spoken. And perhaps for the first time, as they cry to you, woe to me, would find that you touch their lips with the gospel of your son and bring them to new birth, new life. And for all of us, Lord, please would you so fill us with your Holy Spirit that the words we speak may not be ours, but yours. And they would indeed be words that bring you glory and bring life and all these blessings to our neighbours. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.